Good morning, everybody. This morning's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Peter. Good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks, lead pastor here at Grace Community Church, and we are beginning a brand new series, brand new series, Living Stones. I want to I want to open with a question about life's big questions. It's a series of questions. These are all questions that every single one of you um, is considering, and you've been considering them your whole lives. Questions like, who are you? What's your identity? I don't mean who, who, what your name is, but uh, when, you, when you think about who you are, what makes you you? What makes you you? If, if you're paying attention in our culture, there's a lot of confusion about who we are as people. Uh, who are you? What makes you unique? What makes you you? Then there's the question of what's your purpose? What's your purpose? What's your significance? Where do you derive your worth? Why are you? So there's the who are you, but there's the why are you? What are you for? What are you for? Then there's a question of where are you headed? Where are you headed in life? All of you make goals. All of you make plans. What are your plans? Where are you headed? All of those questions are linked to who you are, what your purpose is. They're all connected. They're all connected. And then the last question is, how do you plan to get there? Everybody has a plan. Everybody's building something. Everybody's building a life. How do you plan to get there? Now, when you're looking at these types of questions, where do you start to find the answer? I'll tell you where the culture starts. They start inward. They turn inward and they ask, they contemplate, who am I? What is my purpose? Where am I headed? Where do I want to go? How am I going to get there? Notice, notice what the starting, the starting point oftentimes is man. Greek philosopher once said that man is the measure of all things. In other words, the idea is that when your perspective is yourself, you view everything through the lens of how does it relate to me? How does it relate to me? So, and you look at our culture right now, you look at our culture, when you start internally, when you start with yourself, 
You can go just about anywhere. You can be whoever you want to be. You can declare your purpose to be whatever you want it to be. You can go wherever you want to go and you can use any means to get there. So you can start with yourself. Psychology is the study of human behavior. Sociology is the study of, of the interaction of people, systems and structures. Anthropology is the study of man. So you can study man. You can get inside of man and you can figure out what makes man tick. But ultimately, that's the totally wrong place to start. With all of those life questions, if we want to come to a coherence, a, a, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of identity, we can't start with, we can't start with ourselves. We just finished the series on first Peter and Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone, that is Jesus rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you're looking at the design of a building, you have to start with the architect. What your purpose is, what my purpose is, and who I am is contingent upon who designed us, the designer, the builder, you can start with the stones, but a brick is not going to tell you how to build a house. You have to start with the architect, and that's where we're going to start today. We are going to look at all of these different things in the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus and, and see the master builder at work. See, the life of faith, it's an active process. There's God part. He's the builder. He's the builder. He initiates. He initiates. He invites, and he builds. That's what God does. He is the builder. He is the, he's the one who's building this spiritual household up. So he's the initiator. He's the inviter. He's the builder. Our part is to respond. Our part is to respond. And we'll respond one of two different ways. We'll respond in faith or trust. The, the two are synonymous. We'll trust the builder. We'll trust his design. And we will seek to find our place in his purpose for us. Or we'll respond in unbelief. We'll take a look at the design that God has for us and we'll, we'll deem it not wise. We'll, we'll look at it and say, nah, it's not going to work for me. I have a different design. I have a different purpose. I have a different direction for my life. And I have a different plan that doesn't correspond to the builders. And that's unbelief and that's, that's not faith. And all of us can look at that and we can see our own lives and times we respond in faith and, and other times we respond in unbelief. And our problem is that we're just not very trusting. We're just not very trusting. We know what we ought to do, but the way forward, the, the design, it doesn't fit our design. We look at God's plan for our lives and then we look at our own plan for our lives and they often don't match up and we think, hmm, which is the wise course? And we choose our own way. We choose our own way. And that's our problem. We're not very good at trusting. So this series that we're going to look at uh, now through the first week in June, Living Stones, we're going to survey the work of the master builder when he first got started. 
We're going to survey the work of the master builder. We're going to go through Genesis, through Exodus, so that we may learn how to trust. Quick disclaimer. We're going to look a lot at a lot of patriarchs, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. They are not the models. You are going to be stunned and amazed at how dysfunctional and screwed up all of these living stones are. The hero in this series is the master builder. That's intentional. That's intentional. Do not read this as, we just need to be more like old Abe. Or we just need to be more like Noah. Or maybe we just need to be more like Isaac or Jacob. Please not Jacob. He's the worst. Okay, so as we're looking at this, what we're going to see is we're going to see a pattern develop of God building into individuals who are every bit as flawed, if not more so than each one of us. And we are going to see him construct a spiritual household out of clay, out of the raw material of humanity, which is something which is to manifest and to magnify his glory and his beauty. In all of our fallenness, he's the master builder. So this series is meant to convey a sense of trust in him. And yes, we're going to look at the individual stones that he's chipping on, that he's fashioning, that he's working, and make applications as we go. Now this morning, originally I I had planned that we were going to look at Adam, and I thought, nope, you can't start with the first stone, you got to start with the builder. So we're going to look at the master builder. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to take a look first of all at the designer, the designer, then the design, and then there is a decision. There is a decision that each one of us, each one of you will have to make. So open your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and we will get started. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for, thank you for your grace, thank you for your mercy, Lord. We come to you in humble adoration and humble dependence. We submit ourselves to you as living stones. Lord, you are the master builder. We have plans for our lives, and we think they're wise. Father, would you, would you hold up our plans uh, and show us your plans that we might submit ourselves to you? Would you help me to preach and teach this morning in a way that you are exalted, that uh, we understand what your purpose is for us, and that we see who Christ is and ultimately how, Father, he is the blueprint and also the master builder, one and the same. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Pray that you would receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. First of all, the designer. Genesis chapter 1, good place to start. Begin in the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we have, in the first book of the Bible, in the first verse of the Bible, an introduction to the designer. This is where you have to start. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Brooks. It doesn't say in the beginning, you, it doesn't say in the beginning, Adam, it says in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God introduction to the designer. Now we have God. What did God do? 
he created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The Hebrew word conveys a sense of chaos. There's no structure to it. There's no structure to it yet. And darkness was over the face, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So God creates matter. Out of nothing, everything. Out of nothing, something. And God is the creator. He, he didn't start with raw material. He created the raw material. In the beginning, there was only God. And then there was everything. And then there was everything. Now, in verses 3 through 25, we have the six days and the creations of the stars, creations of the, the moon, creations of the water, creation, the dividing of the firmament, creation of the plants, creation of the animals, etc., etc., etc. And we're going to skip over that. We're going to leap to verse 26 when he creates man. Now, this is going to be a bit mind-stretching for us, but let's just take a look at this verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who the heck is he talking to? Well, I've got a couple know-it-alls right here in the front row. (laughs) Actually, I would agree with them, but... But uh, so, some, some people have not read it that way for, for centuries and t- until Christ came along. The Jews were not sure how to read that. The, the Jews in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord our God is one. So the, God has always been a, Yahweh has always been viewed as, as, as one God, not, not three gods, but, but one God, unified. The, and, and then, so there was an idea that let us make man in our image. The word God here is Elohim. That's a common term. It's, it's like, ah, this really, I almost don't want to use this analogy because it, it's important. I'm going to use it anyway. What's Kleenex? It's a brand name of tissue. But oftentimes, you pull out a tissue and what do you call it? But it might not be Kleenex. I have one in my pocket I grabbed from the back. I'm sure that's not Kleenex, but I call it Kleenex. Why do I call it Kleenex? Well, because that's the brand name. Yahweh is a brand name. Forgive me for the the crude analogy, but Yahweh is a brand name. It's a specific Elohim. Elohim is a designation of spiritual beings. You see it all throughout the Old Testament where, where they refer to the sons of gods. The, son, the, the, son of, the sons of gods as an Elohim. Let's talk about spiritual beings. Talk about angels. So they're a classification of Elohim. Yahweh is the one supreme ruler, the creator of the universe. But then you have all these other Elohim, the gods, the sons of gods, the angels, the archangels. So oftentimes people are like, well, maybe God is talking to the other Elohim, the other angels. That's plausible, but they have no act in creation. They are created beings. They are not creators. So God is not speaking to the other Elohim as the chief Elohim. Let us, all of you angels and me, the supreme God, the supreme Elohim, let us make all these these men. No, he's, he's speaking within himself. Now, I know this is a mind stretcher here, but let's just take a look at a few verses here. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and also verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. 
and the word was with God and the word was God. How can you be God and with God at the same time? And who is this word? It says, all things were made through him, him being the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, that's pretty clear. If there is an atom in the universe, a molecule, a quark, a a subatomic particle, an angelic being, a slug, a, a rock, a human being, if something exists, a spiritual being that can't be measured an angel, a fallen angel, if there's something in the universe that is a thing, he made it. And without him was not anything made that was made. Fast forward to verse 14, a few verses down in in the prologue of, of the Gospel of John. And the word became flesh, this word which is God, which was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him and by him, he became human being. He took on human flesh. And we've seen his glory. We've seen it. John says, I saw it. I was with him. I was with him. The glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Who is he speaking of? He's talking about Jesus Christ, son of God, the son of God. The apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He, the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. God is a spirit. Elohim is a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood. But he being Jesus, the image, the image of the visible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him And for him. Do you notice the similarity between John's prologue and and Paul's uh, message here to the church in Colossae? He's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is eternal. He took on flesh, but he is eternal. All things were made by him, and for him, and through him. So we have the Father, we have the Son. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says here that we have the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. We have a triune God on display here. We see that God is is not simple. Now, how many of you readily understand and, and you can explain the Trinity to anyone who asks you? Not many. Some of you might be able to, but it's a difficult concept. And sometimes we shy away from a difficult concept because it's too complicated and it's not helpful. Well, it is helpful and it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. I want to give you a reference, a recommendation. I just started reading this book um, three days ago, three or four days ago, and I didn't read, I wasn't reading it for sermon prep. But after I started reading it, it's like, dang it, I wish I would have read this about three weeks ago because there's so much that, that, that carries over here in the sermon that I'm preaching right now. The book is called Delighting in the Trinity. It's very short. It's a shorter book, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. If I move on here and you've forgotten and you can't remember the name of the book, just email me and I will send you, uh, send you a link on, on Amazon. Great little book. Very, very readable. Very readable. So, created us, or rather, let us make man in our image. Now, I, I want to I jump ahead here to the end of the book of John. This is right before Jesus is, is arrested. 
and he is in the garden and he's praying his high priestly prayer. Very powerful. Longest prayer recorded in the Bible. Let's take a look at what Jesus says. He says, Father, I desire that they also, that is his disciples, whom you have given me, may they be with me where I am to see my glory. Catch this. This is a mind blower that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. All right, before we look at one single solitary living stone, before we take a look at Adam, before we take a look at Eve, before we take a look at you in your own humanity and in the image of God in which you were created, let's take a look at who God is. God is a community. God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit, and the Father was loving the Son eternally in eternity past. God has always been a loving being, and that is his nature. That is why 1 John says God is love. It doesn't say God started loving. Do you realize that God was loving in eternity past? He was always, the father was always loving the son. The son was always loving the spirit. The spirit was always loving the son and the spirit was always loving the father. And there's this love fest going on from eternity past. It didn't begin with creation. God did not create man because he needed someone to love. He already was loving. God created humanity because he wanted to magnify his love. He wanted to create beings in his image because he is eternally giving. God is always giving himself. The father is giving himself to the son. The son is giving himself to the spirit. And there's this constant giving. There's this constant generosity. There's this constant loving. And that's in the beginning before there were heavens and earth, before there were people, before there were angelic beings. God is love. And love requires a community. You cannot love without another human being. There's no one to love. There has to be something to love. There has to be something to give yourself for. There has to be someone to give yourself to. And in eternity past, God has always been self-giving, self-loving, and in loving within the Trinity. I, I know this is difficult to get your head around. And there's some people that they just, they, I can't understand it, so it can't be true. Really? How many of you are down on quantum physics? You just got it wrapped up. That the subatomic particles are simultaneously in a wave function or they're particles. And the nature of light is a wave, and, but there's a, it has properties of a particle. Well, which is it? Yes, it's both. Does anybody here, can anyone truly wrap their head around that? And yet nobody has a problem turning on a light and reading. It just... Take it for granted. It doesn't bother you that you don't understand how light works. Don't reject something because it's mysterious, because it's outside of your ability to wrap your head around. That's the nature of God. He's Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not three different gods. They're one God, three aspects. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. If you can't get your head around it, I want you to think about, just think about this. We all live in a three-dimensional world, right? There's, there's height, there's width, there's depth. So when you take a look at a cube, what is a cube? A cube is a six-sided figure. Six squares, but it's six sides, right? It's three-dimensional. Cube, that's what a cube is. Now, I want you to imagine, we all live in a three-dimensional world, but what if you lived in a two-dimensional world? 
where you had width and you had breadth, but you don't have height. And this cube, you experience the cube. The cube becomes flesh and dwells among you in a two-dimensional world. So you hang out with the cube. You learn about the cube. The cube is self-revelatory. It tells you all about itself. And now you have to go and you have to describe this cube, this word being made flesh, to your other two-dimensional friends. How do you describe the cube? I met the word become flesh. Tell me about this word become flesh. Well, he's a square. Four equal sides. But there's six of them. But they're not, it's not six different. It's six, but, but it's one. So it's not six different squares. It's one square, but it's, do you see the problem? Do you see the impossibility of describing a six-sided individual object to someone in a two-dimensional world? You can't do it. You can't do it. That's what we're attempting to understand right now. We're trying to look at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're in a three-dimensional world. Mathematicians, I don't know the final number. There might be a few math engineer geeks here that would know this answer, that there are I think upwards of 20 different dimensions. We can, height, width, breadth, length, we can, we can deal with that. 20 different dimensions. No wonder we can't figure this out. Now, this is, might be just interesting to you, but in my mind, this is absolutely fundamental. Why? Because if God is simply just God, and there's no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then he has to make you to have something to love. That means that God wasn't loving in eternity past, but he became loving when he made something. And that means that he's dependent upon his creation to be God. And if God's dependent upon anything to be himself, he can't be God. The creation epic uh, in in Babylon, the the God uh, Marduk creates humanity for the purpose of providing slaves for the gods. That's what you get when you create your gods in man's image. You create things for self-service. God doesn't, doesn't create us in his image so that we can serve him. He creates us in his image so that we can magnify his glory and so that he can fill the universe with beings capable of loving just like he loves. This is the design because that's the designer. That's what it means when he creates us in his image. Okay. So we started with the designer. Let's take a look now at the design. Let us make man in our image. So now we're taking a look at the the bricks, the individual bricks, you, me, and in this case, in the beginning, two, Adam and Eve, male and female. And let us make them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in antiquity, in antiquity, the, the, the Hebrew people, the Egyptian people, the Mesopotamian people, the Canaanite people were used to, they were used to the kings of the area, this, this word which is, it, translated image, 
there would be images of, say, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. So this was common. Kings would have their, their image, their likeness made and, and placed all over their kingdoms. And that would be a reminder to the citizens who was the sovereign ruler over them. You see the same thing in a similar way when you go into a, uh, a courthouse. What do you see when you go into a courthouse? You see the image of the governor and you see the image of the president. It's the similar concept. It's just a reminder who's in charge, who's in charge. So this is, that's, that's what the word likeness means or image means, the image and likeness. So they were used to this. Now in, in ancient days, say, especially you're, you're familiar, maybe you're not familiar, but in Egypt, they believed that the pharaohs were descendants of the gods. So they were created in God's image. They were descendants of the gods. So they were the image bearer of the gods. And this, it was very similar in, in, in different cultures. The, the kings, the kings were always the image bearer. They represented God to man. The Hebrew culture gets turned on its ear, turned on its head, flipped upside down because here's what God is saying. Oh, no, 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 it's not just the kings. It's every single one of you. You are my image stamped with my nature to be my representative, male and female. This is, this is revolutionary. In a male-dominated culture, a, male, a patriarchal society, the author of Genesis is saying that women too are created in the image of God. Each individual in this auditorium, each individual in Iowa City, regardless of what they believe, they are human beings stamped, created in the image of God to reflect and bear his image. That's who we are. That's the nature of who we are. That's why every single individual has worth and dignity. You remember back when I was on my back and I was hurt and I was not preaching? I tried to convince the, the, the elders that I could do a Zoom sermon. Why would anyone be so stupid? Why? Because my, my significance, my identity, my self-worth was wrapped up in my ability to do something for other people. And I remember at one point not being able to do a whole much and, and I, I was very emotional and I actually uttered these words, I don't have any dignity. And I stopped right after I said it. And it occurred to me, it occurred to me that I had actually fallen into the belief that my dignity was a product of my productivity. What does that mean? You're not any different. How many of you feel worthless at times? Why? Because you're not producing. Do you know what the basis of your worth is? The basis of your worth is the fact that you are an image bearer of God. If you were a quadriplegic, unable to speak, move, or do anything of yourself, you are glorious. Because you represent the image of your creator, who is eternally loving. It's not about... You, 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 ever, you, ever, you ever... Maybe you've even said it. That person is a waste of space. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that about yourself or thought that about someone else? That's because we look at other people and we measure their worth by their productivity. That's not 
how we measure worth, or it shouldn't be how we measure worth. You have significance and you have worth because you are created in the image of God. You may feel worthless, but that's not true. You're not worthless. You have value because you reflect your maker. You may not reflect him well, but you still are created in his image. That's the design. That's the design. We're designed to reflect his image. John chapter 1 had it up on the screen just a minute ago. I just want to read from me here. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. He uses that word, word, often. With the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word, word, is logos. It means, it means, it's hard to get your head around. It's, it's an idea. It's a, it's, it's a logic. It, 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 it can be translated logic, logos, logic. It's where we get the word logic. Here's what, here's what John is saying. He's the blueprint. Jesus is the blueprint. He's the designer and the blueprint. He's the designer and the blueprint. Uh, Romans chapter, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Turn there quickly. I won't have it on the screen for you. Romans chapter 8, verses 28. I've quoted this a million times over my years as a preacher. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the blueprint of his son. You and I were created in the image of God, and we are now, if we are in Christ, being conformed, chiseled, molded, squeezed, shaped, hammered into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. Jesus is the blueprint. Now, what are these bricks supposed to do? And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over the, all the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves and on the earth. God wants to take take these, these living stones and he wants them to reproduce. He wants his majesty and his glory and his image to fill the universe so that like, like millions and billions of little mirrors, when the light is shining on them, they just reflect the light everywhere. Like a, oh, this is a terrible analogy, but a big disco ball feel awful for having say, said that, but you get the idea that there's all these little mirrors and all they do is reflect light, but it, what it does is it, it spreads that light out everywhere. It spreads the light out everywhere. And that's what humanity is supposed to do. So be fruitful, multiply. He blessed them. To bless someone means that you have their good and you have their intent at heart. 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, here's where it gets dicey. Or I'm going to guess that it's getting dicey. Let's just read it. Subdue it. Have dominion. How many of you are suddenly uncomfortable with that language? Subdue. What does subdue mean? It means conquer. If I subdued you, how many of you, that sounds less than gentle. It means to seize, to take hold of, and to conquer. And to have dominion means to rule. Means to rule. Now, we're uncomfortable with that language for good reason. How many of you have noticed that the history of man is filled with subduing and dominion? Any of you notice this? How many of you notice that the, the subduing and dominion of human beings over other human beings and over creation doesn't seem to reflect a God of love? Anybody notice this or is it just me? Stacy and I last week were up in the north woods of Minnesota. Some of you are thinking, why? Because it's not cold enough here. That's why. So we were in the north woods of Minnesota. We were talking to a guide, a fishing guide, a hunting guide up there. And he was explaining how back in the day, 150, 200 years ago, this whole area was filled with old growth pine. Trees that were absolutely huge. And now it's filled with pine, but not old growth pine. But loggers came in in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and they just cut down everything, everything. And caribou used to be plentiful in northern Minnesota, but caribou require old-growth pines to live in, so they cut down all their habitat, and there's no caribou there. Just one teeny tiny example of the exploitation of human beings over the planet that God has given us. And, and that's... Is that uncommon? It's totally common. So when we see subdue and have dominion, we rightfully kind of go, that sounds like a bad idea. Why? Why does that sound like a bad idea? Because we haven't got to the next chapter yet. This is the ideal. This is the design. Now, granted, the living stones that God is working with after Genesis chapter 3 they, while they bear his image, they do not bear his design. Well, they bear his design, but that's not their design. Now they have a different design altogether. It, so instead of, remember, the Trinity, the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is his nature to continually, perpetually bless and love and be self-giving. Before there was anything, God was loving and self-giving. The Father is always about the glorification of the Son. The Son is always about the glorification of the Father. And the Holy Spirit is about glorifying both. Before anything was made. And then he created and he says, now you do the same. It's, it's, it's this perpetual love fest. That's the idea, a perpetual love fest. And so multiply, make lots of little bricks. And... Send them out and let them subdue and, and perpetually love and, and take the earth and squeeze it and mold it and shape it so that it can, it can bless more people. How many of you have heard Paul Harvey's um, God Made a Farmer? Absolutely marvelous. I'm not going to 
give that to you, but you can YouTube it. Look it up sometime. Listen to it. God made a farmer. That's what he's talking about. Take the raw materials of the earth and make it fruitful so you can feed other people. That's before the fall. Work is, volitional work is, is, is a high calling. Whatever your endeavor is, subdue it, have dominion, take raw materials and use it to bless other people. That's the idea. That's the idea. At least it was. So he places man, male and female, in the garden. Genesis chapter 1 is kind of an overview. Genesis chapter 2 takes Genesis 1, 26 through 27 and kind of blows it up. So you see the same story, but it's in greater detail now. We're not going to take a look at that in depth, but out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. In the garden, there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you go down to verse 15, God specifically tells Adam and Eve that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So, we have a choice. We have a choice. Will I eat from the tree of, the, of, of uh, the tree of life? Will I trust my maker to find my significance and my purpose? Or will I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and determine for myself what the best course of life is for me? Will I internalize this building process and will I take the brick and say, Brick! Or Brooks, Brick Brooks, Brook Bricks. What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? What do you think is good? Do you see the choice? For God to create individuals who are made in his image, he must give them the ability to choose to love. Love without the choice to love is not really love. It's coercion. So our ancestors in Adam and Eve, the first humans, were given the ability to choose. The architect in his design were to set out on their own and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and set a course for themselves. And they made their choice. We're going to look at that choice next week. Because for us to understand uh, how, how God is building now, we have to look at his redemptive story, which implies a fall. And that's next week. But it's impossible not to mention it. It's impossible not to mention it. So as we look at these two trees, you have one choice. You have one choice. God's design, which... He created you to reflect his image, to love and to bless others, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's when humanity is truly reflecting God's image. You know, shine up that mirror, wipe off the dirt. In its redemptive purpose, when man fully reflects the image of God, you see Jesus. 
you see the person of Christ. Or, or you, can, you can determine for yourself what the purpose of your life is. You, you can even choose your own gender if you don't like it anymore. That was a weird thing to say 50 years ago. Not anymore. Just, you don't even like being human. Choose to be a different species. Just identify with whatever brick in creation you want to be on any particular day and just make that your endeavor. And if you do, it will not lead, it will not lead to your joy and God's glory. It never does. So as we go through this series, we're going to see a parade of people like us who are constantly being invited to trust. And they're constantly failing to trust. They're constantly making the dumbest decisions that human beings can possibly make. Some of you think, none of them have anything on me. That's because you haven't read Genesis. There's no way you've read Genesis if you think that those people don't have anything on your stupid decisions. But what we are going to see is that God in his love loves his creation so much that he is willing to relentlessly pursue those living stones with his love. Even as they buck and they kick and they don't trust and they fight him all the way. Because he never stops being a God of love. He's perpetually loving. He's perpetually pursuing. He's perpetually inviting. So how will you respond to the invitation? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago at many times, and in many ways, as we are going to see throughout this series, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But... But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the blueprint. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There it is again. Jesus is not just the design, the blueprint. He is the designer. He's the builder. But the author of Hebrews mentions something here as we prepare to celebrate communion. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this very last sentence in verse three is, is where we're going to close on. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So as the ushers come forward, we're going to celebrate communion. So here at Grace Community Church, we practice what is called open communion. You don't have to be a member of Grace. Communion, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, taking the bread, taking the juice, is just remembering, remembering what Christ did, what Christ did to bring us back. We're going to see this next week, but our forefathers chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin entered the world, and because sin entered the world, death entered the world. And all have been born into sin. It is my very nature and it is my very choice to be a sinner, and I do it well. And so do you. However, Christ is a redeemer. 
He's not just a designer, but he's a redeemer. And the living God became the living word who became living flesh. And that flesh was broken. And that flesh was nailed to a cross. And he bore my sin and he bore your sin. So it's-